Thank God today, and this is Pastor Adams, President and Founder of Truth Matters Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank God that you've taken time out of your busy day to listen to today's podcast. And we're just so delighted to be hosting, to be attendants of this very vital ministry of for contending for the faith, which has once and for all been delivered unto the saints. And today we're going to be continuing in our exposition and study of the group called the Word of Faith. And our desire and our intent is to not disparage or to not um, be negative toward any individual or ministry. But our main goal is to make sure that the body of Christ hears the truth and know what's hidden behind the veil and to be able to give them the truth where they will be able to discern the wheat from the chaff that they will know how to approach and how to help those who've been ensnared and been deceived by this very capricious and egregious theology called the Word of Faith. But before we get into our teaching today, we want to pause and pray. Father, it's once again that we come before your presence with exceeding joy. Master, we bow our knee to you. Our hearts lay prostrate before you. Lord, we thank you today that we know that you are God and nothing is impossible unto you. No matter what test, what trial comes our way, we know, God, that you are the Lord that goeth before us and you fight for us. We thank you today that you are our buckler and our shield. You are a high tower, God, and the righteous can run into you and find safety. Thank you today, Lord, that your eyes go to and fro throughout the earth, looking for someone you can show yourself big to. And Lord, I know that you are our umpire. You are our mediator. You are our advocate. You are, Lord God, our representative before the Father. We thank you, Lord, that you died in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God in Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for every person who's saved, who've joined this podcast today, that they might learn and that they might be equipped and that they can find wisdom, that they may be effective in helping those who are lost in word of faith theology. Bless that sinner man that doesn't know you today. Let them hear the message of what's real and what's genuine and authentic, that they might know the real Jesus of the Bible, that they might come to love and have an endearing personal commune and relationship with him. Lord, I thank you for that today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And today we're going to start in our exposition on Word of Faith Theology on our continuation on some of those personalities who comprise the Word of Faith movement. One of the great pioneers from back in the 70s and 80s was Dr. Fred Price in Los Angeles. He's a revered as a pioneer and icon of the movement. And he refrains from using the term, if it be thy will. Fred Price concludes, this is what he said, quote, If a Christian has to say, if it be thy will, then you're calling God a fool. Fred Price considers the term a badge of doubt. What's a badge of doubt, Fred? Using the term, if it be thy will. He claims that if you say, if it be, when you pray, God won't answer you. Now, if that's not absurd enough, he says, 
the Lord's Prayer is not for Christians. Word of faith leaders are adamant on verbal confession. He even had the temerity to claim that silent prayers never get answered. Hmm. I guess he never read the Bible before he teaches it, and it would be very beneficial if Word of Faith leaders would read their Bibles and rightly divide them before they teach. Because he would have seen in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, Paul wrote this. He said, pray continually. This means being in a constant attitude of prayer. An attitude of prayer can be silent. How can we eat food or listen to anyone that's talking to us if we're to be always praying out loud? According to him, it has to be verbal and it has to be out loud for God to hear it. Listen to what the Bible says in Nehemiah 2. Between verses 4 and 5, there is a prayer, but you'll not find the words of that prayer. Why? Because it was silent. And guess what? It was also answered. It saved Nehemiah's life and resulted in the wall being built, rebuilt in Jerusalem. And lastly, in 1 Samuel 1, verse 9 through 20, it speaks of Hannah praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. It was silent and it was answered because she did have her son. See, the word of faith has forfeited a great attribute of God. And what's that attribute of God? It's God's omniscience. God made man lower than angels. The scriptures tell us that it is not in man to know his way. God sent his spirit to lead man, and he gave us his word to reveal his will unto man. Not seeking God's will is like playing spiritual Russian roulette. We may go down spiritual roads that where the bridges are out. Romans 11 and 33 explains how God is full of knowledge He's also full of might, and God's ways are unsearchable. Isaiah 55 and 8, it trumpets out at us today, and this is what it says. It says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. This is why Paul wrote, it is vital and important that we be not unwise concerning God's will. Fred Price, did you read that in the scripture? Did you read your Bible when you said it's a badge of doubt to use if it be thy will? And if you say if it be thy will, it's calling God a fool? Well, is that what the Bible says? Because in Ephesians 5 and 17, it says that we are not to be unwise, but knowing what the will of the Lord is. And we have to commit to God's will. And I'm just going to list a few other verses that speak to that Study Galatians 1 and 4. Study Acts 21 and 14. Romans 1 and 10. Romans 2 and 18. 1 Corinthians 4 and 19. And probably the most popular one is James 4, 13 through 15. Now to acknowledge God's will will keep God on the throne. But here's the sad truth. Faith has dislodged Jesus Christ. And faith is on the throne, and it is the king of the Word of Faith movement. Now, in the face of such blatant and false doctrine, Fred Price is still an icon. He's still a spiritual mentor for so many Word of Faith practitioners. A few texts must be examined to isolate the error of the Word of Faith theology. 
Now, we at Truth Matters Ministries, we looked at the biblical text, namely Proverbs 18 and 21. This is what it says. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, when you read that and you totally detach yourself from the biblical or the principle of biblical hermeneutics or the art and science of interpretation, and if you detach yourself and forget to utilize what is called scriptural synergy, and the most important one is ensuring that you have things in context. And if you keep things in context, then you will know what these verses mean. Let's just look at what it says in Proverbs 18 and 21. Now, faith teachers have taught that the blessings and curses will come into the life of a person by what they speak with their tongue or what they don't speak with their tongue. But Hebrew scholars suggest that the verse is speaking of the ability of the tongue to bring pain or deception into the lives of individuals. How does that work? Words have the ability to uplift or condemn, to break or bring life to one's spirit. It does not mean that you can affect your destiny or your reality in an esoteric mean by what you say. Proverbs 6 and 2 says, You are snared by the words of your mouth. Now, Word of Faith teachers have taken this verse and they advocate that curses, misfortune, hindrances occur by having negative confessions. (laughs) This this verse outlines the neophytical and amateurish abilities of Word of Faith leaders and how they possess and how they operate in hermeneutics. The Word of Faith has neglected the practice of hermeneutics Well, they would not make such basic mistakes. This text has an historical implication that can't be missed. Let's look at it closer. 2,500 years ago, the use of notary publics and attorneys were non-existent. The old handshake and your word being your bonds or words or promises that proceeded from your mouth were binding. So the tradition and the custom was business transactions and the old barter system only required a person to give a verbal commitment. It is this tradition that prompted Solomon to write, you are bound or committed by your verbal words. Snared by the words of your mouth means nothing more than that. The word of faith is built a theological construct on the premise, man's words create his reality. It is common to hear people polluted by word of faith doctrine say things like, hey, be careful what you say. You're going to speak that thing into existence. Ah, be careful what you say. Don't speak that. You're going to speak it into existence because what you say can become a reality. They get sick and they'll go around saying, well, you know what? Even though I'm sick and the doctor gave me a diagnosis and here's the proof, I don't believe it because I'm just claiming and confessing. By his stripes I'm healed. I'm going to say it all day long. I'm going to say it from sun up to sundown. By his stripes I'm healed. By his stripes I'm healed. I don't care what the report says. By his stripes I'm healed. I don't care what the blood test said. By his stripes I'm healed. I don't care what the x-ray reads. By his stripes I'm healed. They'll get laid off their job and they'll start going around saying, I'm employed. I have a job. I've attended churches and heard evangelists tell parishioners to go to the Lexus dealership and put their hands on a Lexus and claim it verbally by faith. Think of that. Just go lay your hands on the car of your choice and just say, I claim this car in Jesus' name. 
and all of the paperwork will be done. All the financing will be done. If you don't have a dime or any credit, you're still going to get the car. Is that what we're telling people? The sad fact is the word of faith creates a mystical world. Within this world are the things that are manifest. And the in the other world are the things that you desire. And by confessing or using your faith, you can bring into manifestation the desires that you dream. Now, by this concept, you live in defeat or you live in victory. So many live stagnant and oblique lives, ever holding on to the baseless dreams that God never promised. Now, in order to promulgate this deception, it causes faith teachers to mangle other texts from their true meaning. This occurs in Romans 4 and 17. Paul is giving an exposition on the consistency of the Old Testament and the gospel concerning justification by faith. I hope you paid attention to that. He's just giving continuity between the Old Testament and the gospels concerning justification by faith. Now, the context is speaking of God's method of justifying man by faith. But the word of faith teachers splinter the continuity of the passage, and they interpret it to mean Abraham could speak into existence things that are not as if they were. I know you've heard that before. Somebody says, well, Abraham, he spoke the things that were not as if they were. And just by him speaking it caused him to have a son. But if you take a close review of the verse, it indicates that it was God, not Abraham, who had the ability to think to speak the things that were not tangibly evident as if they already existed. Why is that? Because God is outside of time. And when God speaks something, even though it may be 5,000 years ago in our chronological timetable, but since he's eternal and infinite, and he's outside of time, when he speaks something, it's as if it's happening now or in the future because he's not bound by time. Abraham was considered the father of faith because he practiced the fundamental aspects of faith. And what are those? Believe and act upon what God said or promised. Those are the true fundamental aspects of faith. Abraham did not just arbitrarily start speaking life into Sarah's womb, like so many word of faith preachers suggest that just speak, he spoke life into her womb. But he only trusted that the God who promised him a son was reliable. This goes back to what we shared in previous segments about the fact that faith is nothing but assurance. It's believing in the trustworthiness of God and that what God promised is reliable. That's what faith is. In the face of being old age, about a hundred years old, and with the absence of Viagra, God said Sarah was having a baby. You see, the word of faith is wrong. We can't call the things that are not as if they really were. What a travesty of followers of this doctrine practice calling tumors that are in their body to just vanish. I confess by faith in tumor. Vanish in Jesus' name. I spoke it by faith and I'm waiting for the manifestation. And they don't go to the doctor and they don't get treatment. And now they're at a stage four level and they die. 
further on, what can happen is if calling healing into existence does not occur, those consequences are devastating and final. Why does Truth Matters Ministry take such a strong stand against these false teachings? Now imagine this. Imagine you bought a health insurance policy. You all stay with me on this. This is so important. Now, the policy said that it only paid for one annual doctor visit. Y'all hear me? One annual physical exam. And it only would pay out a maximum of $50,000 in benefits for the entire life of the policy. So if you use up your $50,000 in one year or one day, your benefits are spent. That's what the policy says. But here comes a salesman. The salesman who sold it to you, he wants to get a sale, so this is what he told you. He says, it would pay for unlimited payments for hospitalization. It'll pay for unlimited prescriptions. It'll pay for emergency, unlimited emergency room visits, unlimited surgery bills, all your outpatient expenses. It'll even pay for disability payments if you're out of work or if you get hurt. So you just take his word for it. You don't take the time to study the policy for yourself and you just take his word for it because he seems like he knows what he's talking about. Then five years later, you contract cancer and you go to the hospital and they tell you that your outpatient visits are not covered. Your medications are not covered. Your 45 days of hospitalization and surgery to remove the tumors and loss of work are not covered. So you have an attorney look at the policy and yep, the attorney affirms it's true. You're not covered. Did you read the policy? You incur medical bills for over $350,000. You lose your home. You lose your savings and your ability to ever get coverage again because you're too sick to get coverage. Your experience relapses and you have to continue to pay out of your pocket because you couldn't get coverage again. So you either got to pay out of your pocket because you have no insurance or you're going to die. The tragedy is this is what happens spiritually when word of faith leaders erroneously teach what God promises and what abilities you have. And sadly, when you encounter life's crisis and the alleged promises don't work, Many end up paying with ruined lives and worse, an uncertainty of God's word and doubt of God's faithfulness. We must study for ourselves what is covered by God's word, God's will, his sovereignty and his purpose and confirm promises are provisions covered in God's insurance policy to us. It's another scripture that the word of faith fractures is Matthew 16 and 19. I want you to look at that. From this text, word of faith teachers teach that Christians have the ability to bind and loose. I'm sure you've heard somebody say, I bind this in the name of Jesus. I loose this in the name of Jesus. But a survey of the verse reveals that as an apostle, Peter was given special calling to establish the foundations of the church. I'm going to say this and I want you all to remember this. Every scripture is not written to all. 
but every scripture was written for all. Scriptures that are not written to you and that do not pertain to you in the era in which you're living is not written to you. There are many texts in the Bible that are written to just the children of Israel. There are words that were spoken to a certain individual. A salutation was written specifically to Gaius. But it's for you because it's for your learning and it allows you to accurately appropriate and align the Word of God and properly fit it together. Now, when you read Matthew 18 and 18, it tells us something similar to what we read in Matthew 16 and 19. Here it speaks of the apostles' authority in the area of church discipline. The crux of the teaching is their authority was only within the boundaries that God already had established. Now, Jesus alluded to the verse in Isaiah 22:22 that speaks of the authority of Christ. The Bible says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus was the chief cornerstone, according to Ephesians 2 and 20. Peter was given apostolic ability to bind and loose what was already loosed in heaven. The church does not have an unrestricted power of attorney with God. Now, finally, on the subject of confession, word of faith adherents declare that Jesus cursed the fig tree. And we can speak to our life's fig trees and all of them will wither. Just like when Jesus spoke to the fig tree in Mark 11, 22 and 23. Now, they refer to the scripture in, in Mark 11, 22, 23, where Jesus said, you can speak to the mountain and the mountains of your life will flee. A more reasonable interpretation of the text is Jesus saw a tree that was designed for providing life and nourishment to the world. I want you all to stay with me here. The fruit or the figs on the fig tree above all trees has the ecological ability to support the entire cycle of life. Uh huh. What do you mean by that, Pastor Adams? It supports all life from the microscopic parasite to the elephant. When Jesus saw the tree was not bearing fruit, he then considered the tree worthless. What does it mean? It symbolically speaks of the nation of Israel in its fruitless condition. And a warning to every individual who wears the name of Jesus Christ, who does not bear fruit. According to St. John 15, far from providing us an example of unrestricted confessional authority, Jesus was establishing the principle that if he speaks something and you believe what he says, God will likewise move mountains, wither trees, and perform any other act to honor your faith in what he said. It reinforces Christ's focus on the essentials. Let's do a demonstration. Um, just for demonstration purposes, let's just perform a little exercise. Okay. I want you to shout out the top of your lungs. I am the President of the United States. Did you do it? 
go ahead and do it again. Holler it out. I am the president of the United States. Just to make sure it got out into the atmosphere. Now, if you are able, if you're not driving in a car, go look in a mirror. I'll wait a second. Now, if you did that, and your name is not Donald Trump, it didn't work. You you hollered it out, right? And when you looked in the mirror, you weren't Donald Trump, were you? So just because you spoke something, just because you declared something, doesn't make it a reality. The missing ingredient of the entire flawed concept is the sovereignty of God. The first rule of God's sovereignty is in the words of Dr. Walter Martin. And this is the first one. God don't have to do nothing God don't want to do. Y'all ready for the second rule? It's very similar. You can't make God do nothing by your faith. Now, I know that's poor grammar, but it's absolutely true. Faith was granted to man to allow him to respond to what God said. God is the conductor. God is the designer. He's the navigator of our world. God does not take orders. God does not wait tables for what we say or demand. The faith God is not a commander in chief, but merely a private that executes orders that word of faith practitioners demand. The word of faith has committed a spiritual coup and doctrinally dislodged God from his throne. And currently faith sits supreme on the throne of the word of faith movement. Don't you forget what I just said. The word of faith claims that since faith is in control, God has to do what our faith requests demand. A notable word of faith leader said, God cannot do anything separate from faith. Just think of the implications of that statement. God cannot do something? What? No, God has never granted us spiritual carte blanche on the earth. Within the word of faith realm, there is a, a circulating piece of garbage that's been thrown up called generational curses. The concept espouses that in essence, Satan has planted a curse in a family, a bloodline, and the curse is perpetual throughout all the generations of a certain family. If the curse of low self-esteem or domestic violence, drug use, homosexuality is injected into a family, it continues until the Christian makes some dynamic confession or spiritual counterattack to break the curse. There are ministers who have written books on the validity of generational curses. But let's look at the Bible as it relates to generational curses. Based upon the text being taken out of context, it has become increasingly common to hear Christians believe that they are victims of some generational curse. But I'm going to go through this very quickly. It tells us clearly in Ezekiel 20 and 5, the son will not share the guilt of the father or the father of the son. When the proverb, the father eats the grapes and the teeth of the son will be set on age, that became socially popular and was spoken prominently in Israel. God responded in Ezekiel 18, 2 and 4, that the proverb, you listening, is to not be spoken 
because every man will give an account of their own sins. God has broken every curse when he hung on the cross. He became a curse for us to break the source of every curse, which is sin. You can stand liberated today in my listening audience on the sufficiency of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Yes, the word of faith is saturated with novice Bible teachers who will parrot anything another internally respected teacher says. We see the use of the word dominion being used by word of faith leaders as meaning that man receives some endowment of sovereignty in the garden. Benny Hinn claimed that since we have dominion, we can do anything. Hinn said, as well as other Word of Faith teachers, they have what is called a bizarre idea about dominion. They don't understand the Hebrew word translated dominion, rada. Rada in Genesis 1, 26 and 28 means rule as a steward. Did you hear that? Rule as a steward, not as a king or as an authority. A steward has restricted power of attorney. This means that the designator gives the designee specific limited control over their affairs. God set parameters of what man had authority over. We find it interesting at Truth Matters Ministry when researching the concept of dominion, we see the New Testament says man has no dominion over every affair. Where is that found, Pastor Adams? 2 Corinthians 1, verse 24. See, the Greek word for dominion is kratos, meaning lordship or rule over. Word of faith leaders didn't study their Bibles. They would have seen that man lost his dominion, according to Hebrews 2, verse 8 through 9. And it records that man had in times past everything subjected under his feet. That was his restricted power of attorney that he had in the garden. He left nothing outside of man's control, but 